0: Hello, and welcome to the Gravity Talks podcast. I am Brooke Carey, Gravity's lead storyteller. At Gravity, we're all about helping independent business owners succeed. Normally, we do this by helping them save money and headaches on their payment processing, but we also believe in sharing information and inspiration to help business owners thrive. On this podcast, Gravity team members interview business owners from a wide range of industries to ask them what they've learned, where they're going, and what advice they'd give to their fellow entrepreneurs. We hope you enjoy the conversations. If so, please like, share, and subscribe, and follow us on social media at Gravity P-Y-M-T-S. Gravity CEO Dan Price gets a lot of interview requests. In addition to queries from various media outlets, he also regularly receives emails from business owners and business students who want to learn more about our $70,000 minimum wage. Although these conversations are usually private, they often reveal insights into our policy and how we've managed to make it a success that traditional and social media commentary usually miss. Recently, Dan was approached by Chris Wayne, A military veteran who is currently studying business at the university of southern california for one of his classes chris was tasked with interviewing a ceo and so he reached out to dan in a wide-ranging conversation chris and dan discussed why income inequality in america is so harmful to our society and economy and what it is really going to take to solve this crisis at a systemic level hint it's going to take a lot more than one CEO deciding to pay a living wage to all of their employees. For more information on conversations with business leaders like these, visit www.gravitypayments.com forward slash talks.
1: Hey, Chris. Hey, Dan. How are you? Good. How are you? There you
2: go. I are. so much appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with me. Yeah. Tammy speaks so highly of you. Oh, you too. Um, Yeah, you too, man. Like, she's been just a wonderful mentor for me over the years. Same. And I recently signed up for uh, an MBA program at USC. They called the MBV because the cohort is all military veterans. Cool. And uh, in the entrepreneurial class, they said, you got to go network. You got to find a founder and interview them. Cool. So I, I hit my network pretty hard. And Tammy was like, I might be able to help you. Don't, it's not 100%, but I might, I can happy. ask. <laughs> happy to do it. I'm sending flowers to her house, like as, oh, as good.
1: we speak. Good, I'm happy to hear that.
2: Um, so I have a daughter. And, you know, when I think about the things that you've done and the world that I want my daughter to grow up in, like there's a merging there you know, I want my daughter to grow up in a society where things are fair and it's and it's merit-based and, and she's not, um, you know, automatically kind of counted down because of her sex. And, you know, I saw the post that you put about Fortune 500 company CEOs and Latinas and African-Americans, and I really empathize with that. Um, you know, as, as I think back to my military career, you know, I want to make this world, I want it to be better when I leave it. You know, I, I feel like it's a, an obligation and, and a duty. Um, so I'm doing my little part over here, but I, I very much applaud what you've what you've done. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. Thank you. And in fact, like seeing Bernie Sanders after you made your announcement on, you know, seeing Bernie Sanders on MSNBC, like kind of giving you a thumbs up, like how'd that make you feel?
1: Well, considering that Bernie Sanders, you know, probably like wouldn't be considered like, you know, a supporter of business or like kind of private enterprise by some people, it's pretty cool to see that like actually there is room for that in that type of idea and how, yeah, by basically like, um, you know, lifting up the floor, we can allow so much more entrepreneurship, so many more companies to be started, so much more independence because the top two reasons why people aren't starting companies are lack of funds and lack of healthcare. Mm -hmm. And especially that hits, you know, women, minority communities, probably harder, uh, because of the fact that 60% of all wealth currently was inherited, that creates kind of a multi-generational divide. Um, And, It keeps us also kind of all working for these big companies and you can see the guilt that people feel in kind of the woke culture, cancellation culture, how people are so quick to call each other out and try to cancel each other and like have these purity tests of like, I'm more woke than you are. And then you see that like they work at Amazon or they work at Facebook or they work at Google or they work at Apple and they work at one of these companies that pretty clearly does not have its own house in order and pretty clearly is contributing more to the problem than the solution. Um, So I would say, you know, it just is encouragement to just keep going because to be honest with you, um, you know, how vocal I am uh, comes at a pretty high price. Like um, at one point, one of our competitors hired a professional stalker to harass my family for two and a half years. You know, my parents, my girlfriend at the time, uh, my siblings. That's
2: unbelievable. Yeah. That's so
1: dirty and slimy, but it doesn't
2: It doesn't surprise me.
1: Yeah. And so, like, you know, hearing, you know, anybody from Bernie to Jesse Ventura to Robert Reich to Robert Barnes, who's kind of on the Infowars side of the spectrum, to all of these different voices, all kind of uniting around the fact that this is the way forward. Um, And also to just be getting, more importantly, just be getting messages from regular people. I mean, honestly, I feel more from that than I do when Bernie Sanders uh, gives support because there's so many just regular people that have reached out and supported me. And in fact, one of the regular uh, people that just reached out and supported me was a bartender from New York who now is a congresswoman, Alexandra (laughs) Ocasio. Really? She used to send me nice messages and follow me on social media and that was that's when, so cool. That's when she was a bartender, you know. So, you know, I, I, I have a lot of belief in just those regular people, to be honest.
2: So so let me ask, like, and that's and that's awesome. So when you, when you talk about like regular people, I know one of the, the reasons I've, I've read a ton about you, so forgive me, I've, I've been like virtually stalking you for a few days. I don't mind. Um, but when you started Gravity Payments, you said, you know, I want to help small businesses. You know, in a lot of small businesses, like you said, they, you know, they're regular people trying to, you know, trying to raise a family and, and pay their bills. Yeah. Like, what opportunity did you see there where you said, you know what, I
1: can, I can fill this gap. Like, what was it? Um, well, I assume you mean kind of internally at Gravity or do you mean more with like public advocacy?
2: I, I I think I mean internally in terms of yeah like you were probably sitting like at your parents' kitchen table thinking about like this oh, dilemma God. that's plaguing yeah, yeah like this I, dilemma yeah. that's plaguing society and you said you know small businesses are getting hosed oh,
1: it was rates are a, through the roof it like, was just, what do I do it was just one small business that was having a problem that I was helping with uh, and I was really offended by the way they were treated but that small business was um was uh moxie Java in Caldwell Idaho and the owner was Heather Hempel and I grew up playing music and she used to let us use her con- uh, her coffee uh, business as a concert venue and so it was just kind of the way she was uh, treated by these this these huge monopolies that offended me um, but of course you know I didn't necessarily have a sense of like kind of... Some of the other pieces of the puzzle at that point, because you know, like i was I was in high school and I was a teenager. so like most of most of what I talk about today, like it wasn't between my ears at that time. You know, there maybe was like the some of the germination here and there. but i think I think it's I think it's a real fallacy that people do with founders because I think there's like this glorification of founders. And there's almost like they perpetuate this myth of like a born entrepreneur and everything. And that perpetuates actually a lot of like caste, racism, classism, all those things. And it, it doesn't work that way at all. You know, you kind of, I believe that I got from, from one step to the next step to the next step to the next step. And I couldn't get to that next step until I was on the previous step. And, like, the steps that I'm reaching to now, like, there's no way I could even think about getting to them without working with somebody like Tammy, you know? And so, I think it would be a huge disservice to leave people with the impression that, like, I had more than a tenth of one percent of all this stuff figured out at that point. It was just, I just had enough to take the next step, and that was it.
2: And, that, that's, and that's great. A lot of this class is actually really about that, about the like, it's a journey, it's not a light switch, you know, and, and you have to, you know, put these building blocks in place. And, and one of the questions is even, like, how do you think, you know, raised in Idaho, uh, homeschooled, you know, religious family, like, how do you, how, you know, and I know you're not very religious now, but how, how do you think that molded that, that journey? Like, what, what are those early influences, do you think?
1: I mean, you know, I remember reading in the Bible like, you know, Jesus said, "Whatever you do to the least of these, you do that unto me." Hmm. And that's kind of like a sense of like, hey, if you're going to treat this person bad poorly because they're not powerful and you there's no accountability, that's basically you're doing that to me. So there were these principles that were in there, you know, that yeah, that like connect to what I do today but I will say that those principles are not exclusive to Christianity or the Bible those are just happen to be the right principles and those principles are in the Bible but they're also in all so- all sorts of sacred texts and also sure. they're in I mean you see them highly highly present actually in you know secular or atheist or agnostic communities so yeah. I would say like You know, one of the things that I think we need to do better on is like when somebody says the right thing, but you want to demonize them for whatever reason, because they're different than you, like that's not really moving us forward. And so those principles were like there for me. But then, you know, if you look at, again, the company today, majority of the people at the company today don't have a similar background to what I had, but still share those principles. And there, I like, I like the way our founders in the United States put it. And I, I realize that we're not nowhere close to this, but I think the way they put it, whether they meant it or not was really good in that we find these truths to be self-evident, mm-hmm. right? That, that, yeah. that people should have the right to and the, and the ability to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. You know what I mean? That yeah. Everybody should have that. And it doesn't matter if you're trans it doesn't matter what your skin color is or like you know like where your parents lived 500 years ago or a thousand years ago or whatever like none of that stuff matters at all your gender like frankly any of your life choices like if somebody is like um you know like obviously like you have to kind of save the workspace and be a professionally appropriate at the workspace but you know if somebody like believes in like arranged marriage for example like that shouldn't affect their standing in the workplace and if somebody else believes in like polyamory and orgies like whatever that, that shouldn't affect their standing <laughs> at the workplace either now i don't i i certainly don't want the first person going around saying everybody here has to be in arranged marriage or i can't work with you and i don't want the second person you know kind of like necessarily like doing like all company emails, like inviting everybody to their orgy. Cause like, you know, you gotta kind of save the workspace from some of those personal things. But but as long as it it's respectful and it doesn't impede on anybody else. And it's like, these are values that whether you're a deeply conservative person or a deeply liberal or progressive person, or you're a moderate or anywhere libertarian, any of these positions, like, the, the idea that we should stick up for people that are not getting a fair shake and make things better for them and that we'll all be stronger if we do that. And also the idea of like free speech and respecting other people's values and understanding, you know, that like just because my beliefs are different than yours doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. That, that's a crazy, that's a crazy conclusion yeah. to jump to. It's, and it's yet, crazy. It, yeah, it's it,
2: unbelievable that that's how society is working right
1: now yeah that's the conclusion that we're taught to jump to if you if you disagree with somebody that means they're wrong and uh <laughs> and it's just it's just wild so you know like i'm i'm probably you know as liberal and progressive at this point as i as i've ever been in my life or maybe as much as like almost anybody is like my ceo friends joke around about how you know, I'm the CEO that's just slightly to the left of Bernie and AOC. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then I have I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh for three hours a day and believing everything he said. And I also grew up um, reading the Bible for three hours a day and really, you know, taking it from a literal fundamentalist point of view. And I grew up as an anti-vaxxer. My family didn't believe in vaccines or like science. Oh, really? My parents didn't want me to be exposed to biology when I was growing up because they thought it was threatening to our belief system. So they didn't want me to learn biology and, you know, until the proper age when I could like have my defenses all built up. And so, so like, it's hard for anybody to beat me in like a a, a contest of who's been more extreme on any issue. And I have no problem with somebody who has strong points of view. And if you don't have to be in the middle of an issue, but, you know, it still is not like a time, I don't think, to go around and be like, I'm right about everything, you're wrong about any, everything. I think stating your, your truth, especially if it's well-founded and there's, you know, objective factual data behind it that you can share or you can share kind of your logic of how to get there. And then like listening to each other, I really think that's the path forward. And I know that um, the chances of that happening seem like they're just becoming slimmer and slimmer every day right now. But it seems, like, it seems like if we can have these sorts of economic fairness solutions, then that can facilitate more people becoming civically engaged, you know, making good choices, and also like giving people a seat at the table. Um, cause it seems like right now we've basically taken, I would guess about 70 or 80% of our population and we've kind of taken them away from even having a seat at the table at this point.
2: I, I don't think I could agree more with, with much of what you said. I mean, what is, is a veteran. I look at the direction society has gone. I'm, and I'm a little embarrassed, you know, like I, I, like I fought for the country to defend our ability to protest you know, freedom of speech and to see what's happening, it's, it's gut wrenching. It's, it's, it's really, you know, it hurts, like at a deep, at a deep level, you know, um, but I again- wanna thank I, you like, for your,
1: I wanna thank you for your sacrifice and the choice you made uh, to give us a chance to seize this moment. And I hope that we don't waste it. And I can understand how personal that is for you you know, I, and I, I see that flag in the background that's folded up and I know what that means yeah. too. And so, you know, so I, I see how personal that is for you and that inspires me to say, what can I do to make that happen?
2: You do want it. I mean, we're, we're all trying to do it. I mean, I think as a society, look, I, I think people are coming together more than ever as well. You know, I mean, there's this huge divide that exists, but we're also seeing like, you know, these protests and to me, that's amazing. I mean, this is people coming together to stand up for things that they believe in, and I can't remember in my lifetime the last time that has happened. Um, so it's something's working. I mean, I think we, you know, we we've got to kind of keep chugging along, but there are there are gears in motion that have probably needed to be in motion for a long time. Like even voting. I mean, we may get the the largest vote in history. You know, just getting people out to vote is is kind of a big deal. Um, It is. There's there's a movement that exists. You know, and there's hope. You know, we're all kind of doing our 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 part. But let me ask you though. So when when you you talked about you know step by step, you started in a you know in a coffee shop with an idea. At what point? So and I get that you kind of pieced it together. But at what point did you make the pivot to say? my employees aren't making a good living. Like I need to, I can, I can control this and I can make a change. Like was that always in your mind or was there like an epiphany one day?
1: Okay. So when we started the company, the whole idea was to charge the merchants the least amount possible and give them the best service possible because there were all these small businesses that were like fighting so hard and had so little that like paying myself and my employees, the lowest amount possible was like, it made sense at that point being naive as a business strategy, because Mm -hmm. like the the least amount that we take from the merchant, the better, which means we're very resource constrained. And we considered every penny that we made to not be our property, but to be the property of our small business clients. Okay. But then when 2008 hit, like we were in such bad shape uh, in terms of planning financially, because of that philosophy, that when 2008 hit, it looked like the whole company was going to go under. And we'd basically either have to do a layoff, or we'd have to um, increase prices for our clients. And we didn't want to do either one of those. And so then after 2008, we got a lot more disciplined about financial planning and everything. And we started to make a little bit more money. But it was all like saving for a rainy day, because we were so scared from 2008. And there's a fine line between being greedy and being saving. And I don't know that we got that line right. And then at the end of 2011, I was thinking about the team, you know, and how hard they were working and how, you know, our first thousand clients, like I knew a majority of them on a first name basis, they had my cell phone number. You can't scale a business like that. That's based on that kind of service and dedication, you know, very easily, but we were doing it. And that was a dream come true. And so I'm like, wow, actually, the people that are creating my dream coming true are these employees. And yet we're not really giving them not just the pay, but the benefits to be able to have an okay life along the way. And do I really want to build a company where every, we, we all sacrifice our whole life for this? And I decided that, yeah, like we're still on that side of the equation, but we're going to start to go a little bit the other way. So 2012, we set a goal to have 15% annual raises and we had a $1 uh, pay raise in 2012. Now you heard about the pay raise in 2015, but you didn't hear about it in 2012 because it was $1, but we set a goal for 15%. We hit 21%. Then we said, let's let's see if we can achieve that again. And we hit, we are hitting 15% year after year after year. And then I came across this study by Daniel Kahneman and Angus Deaton, Princeton, 2010 study that said your well-being's hurt for every dollar that you make less than $75,000, and every dollar that you make less than that hurts you even more than the previous dollar. So somebody that's making $30,000, if you take one dollar away from them, it's going to hurt more than somebody making $40,000 taking a dollar away from that person. So it's like the the money is not the same value to all of us. The money has the most value in the hands where it's needed, not stuck in these places, like being hoarded by huge companies, billionaires. And so, you know, you could see us going that direction. And so I kind of incorporated that and we we were moving, but I interviewed and we had an Employee at Gravity volunteer to anonymously interview the entire company and ask them what they thought about our compensation philosophy, that we kind of started a bit low, but that we would... Average 20% increases, thereby people would double their income every three years, which would, which, you know, could really get you in a good place, but you had to start in not such a good place. And I was thinking about this Kahneman thing and like, how does it like go along? We did this all company like survey and all but a few employees were loving our compensation program, thought it was a great idea. Maybe they felt like it wasn't the right place for them now, but they could get somewhere good. And then it kind of ties back to what you were saying earlier. I went on a hike with this uh, woman who's an Iraq war veteran. She had two tours, and she was also stationed in Germany for a long time. Sergeant Valerie Molina, she's a staff sergeant in Iraq. And she, uh, we were on a hike, and she was telling me, after being an a 11-year uh, service to military and two tours to the Army, she started telling me about how a $200 rent increase was turning her whole life upside down. And I knew that was wrong, but then I realized that a third of my employees made less than Valerie. And they're not gonna necessarily tell me about that $200 thing because they have generally very positive can-do attitudes. They don't have victim mentality. Valerie doesn't have any of that in in, in her at all. But as a friend, it's easier to just tell somebody what's going on for you than it is to tell the CEO. And that's when it clicked for me. So Valerie and I were on this hike and she, she told me, um, I told her that I was going to dedicate it to her and I was going to pay all my employees a $70,000 living wage because I thought she deserved it and I thought they did too. And uh, a few weeks later is when I implemented and, and announced the program to get everybody up to $70,000. But I needed that emotional tipping point. I had all the logic that we could do it and figure it out. But it's just tough because as a CEO you're basically told you're not allowed to do that kind of thing it won't work yeah. or your company and so I needed that kind of like raw like emotional jolt to get me into a place where I had the courage to do the opposite of what I was taught the right thing was
2: so, so like how did like I'm, I'm kind of playing this out in my head so you show up to the office one day and you're like hey Mr. CFO, hey, head of HR, there's this thing I want to do. Like, did they were did they kind of like triple take on you? Like, I,
1: I got did I the, hear you right. I got pretty much the same reaction from everybody, which was, "It sounds like a bad idea, but I know we're going to do it, and I think we can pull it off." Really,
2: that's awesome.
1: It's kind of like like Dan. Like, this would be a bad idea in, under any other circumstance, but we'll, we're, we're the company to figure this out and we, we can do it. So, so then like, as you, as you
2: made this transition, cause I mean, that's a really big pivot to go from like the cost saving strategy to now like completely focused on employees. Did you have a strong mentor throughout that? Like, was there somebody you used as a sounding board?
1: I mean, so many people, so many. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know that there was like a focal point during that time, Um, but I think being surrounded by like a community of mentors and having like peer-to-peer mentorship Mm -hmm. conversations like this, like, you know, I'm getting a lot of the conversation we're having right now. I mean, obviously I'm enjoying it, but it also is causing me to reflect and think about, you know, not only the past, but the present and the future. I think this type of thing that we're doing right now, I had a lot of this. And so I think you could definitely call that mentorship, but it's not like there was kind of one focal point. Um, And I think that probably is more realistic in 2020 with how connected we are is to not really have one mentor, but more like hook into a community of mentorship or like get mentorship from a, a variety of different places. And the people that I look up to and read and, and what, you know, there's business people, absolutely, of course. And there's founders, but there's also, you know, social critics, journalists, uh, high school teachers, you know, nurses, um, you know, Tenters. I like, yeah, well, I, I like to learn from my, you know, like, I used to have to, like, back before the pandemic, I was in an Uber a lot, you know, traveling and, and doing things for work. And I, I've learned some of the most important things just from like Uber drivers, you know what I mean? Like, there's a, lot of, um, there's a lot of Africans that drive Uber in the Seattle area that came from really difficult situations. And they've been incredibly generous with me in terms of sharing their stories and telling me what it's like to live day in and day out. I really look up to janitors. Like, I feel like janitors work so hard and they have such a tough life. I mean I think those are some of the best human beings out there, so I feel like I feel like um, it, it it's tough because like I understand everybody needs different things, and probably there is a shortage of kind of like business strategy and all that sort of thing. so I try to be accessible when I can be to provide info like that and I, obviously I wrote my book worth it to provide info like that, but I think that um I did not order that from Amazon, by the way. Thank you. Buy <laughs> it from a small bookstore, but...
2: I did, I did, I did.
1: Yeah, I'm just saying if anyone else hears this, if you, know, if you end up sharing this or whatnot, I hope everybody does that. But um, I'm, I'm not recording this. I took some notes. It's, it's oh, cool. a
2: two-minute presentation. Got it. I think they just want to prove I could network and actually like sit down with somebody.
1: Well, we're recording it and we'll give it to you. So if you want to oh. share, welcome to.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. I didn't know that. I knew you were recording it. I didn't know I was going to get a copy. That's
1: great. Yeah. We'll give you a copy. That's fine. I I think, I think it's the least I could do to just thank you. Um, but back to the question, um, I guess what I needed was less about the business stuff and more about the like humanity stuff. I just want to acknowledge that I do, I do like, um, I did have the advantage of like, you know, starting my company in high school and like starting to figure all this stuff out and like kind of, I mean, I'll be honest, kind of idolizing business people growing up and like learning about business, like from a young age, like single digits kind of thing. I started reading about business and being interested in it and starting little businesses. So, you know, I think that what I needed at that time was probably the opposite of what other people sometimes need. Because what I needed was more the, the heart part of it because I was kind Mm -hmm. of like a smart business person who was like in danger of becoming an asshole or maybe even kind of an asshole and I needed to like I I had the business stuff down more than I had like a well-rounded understanding of like how to be a good person I think
2: I think a lot of people I mean I'm in my 40s and I think I still struggle with that yeah. You know, like I I want, I desperately want to be a good person. You know, and I and I don't want to be this kind of capitalistic, you know, greedy, greedy, greedy. But you know what? I've got bills to pay. I've got kids I've got to provide for, you know, and it's 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 tough to figure out, you know, where's this balance? Like I just want to I just want to be a good human being and I wanna be able to provide. And you know, there's no calculation for that. There's no You know, I can't put this in Excel spreadsheet to say like, this is, this is exactly how much you should make and when, and, you know, five years from now, you're going to need a little bit more. It's just, it's, it's tough. It's tough. And at the end of the day, I think, you know, we're just, we're just, you know, just trying to be good people.
1: I'll say, you know, for me, like a shift is like, um, if somebody cuts me off in traffic, you know, I don't honk the horn wildly and flip them off. I, if, you know, usually in Seattle, you're not far away from the next stoplight. And so I'll just go up to them the next stoplight and I'll just make sure they're okay. Like, first of all, like, are they okay? Like personally, are they, because they're in more danger than anybody else in that situation. And then, you know, I'm kind of for other people double checking, like, does this person seem sober, that sort of thing. Right. And if they don't seem sober, I'm going to tell them, Hey, I want you to pull over right now and get an Uber and I'm gonna watch you. And if you don't, I'm gonna follow you and call the cops. Those are your two choices, right? So like that to me seems just so much more effective than flipping somebody off and honking your horn at them. But yet we're taught that the right thing to do in that situation is to punish somebody by flipping them off, you know? And and I I just think that- I think those are the types of things that in the business world are so toxic because the power gets so concentrated with so few people, myself being one of them, if I'm being totally honest. And then when those people have exhibit behaviors, you know, like Jeff Bezos, for example, could take literally a 10th of what he's made in the past, in just during the pandemic, and he could make all of his employees whole for the entire year and give them a seventy dollars or $80,000 minimum wage. And it would cost him nothing and he chooses not to do it. And so that's like clearly like a, and then he says, well, I'm making so much money to space travel because we will spend this much money. At the same time, and even Bill Gates, who says he wants to give away all his money, but can't give it away fast enough, he hasn't always paid a living wage to people at the Gates Foundation in Seattle. And I know obviously he's done way more for humanity than Jeff Bezos, I don't mean to compare them, but like if you think about these these folks, it's just too much power. And the idea that we should have these godlike figures to make better decisions than all of us together as a society, as democracy, and then if we, underinvest in education, in especially early childhood education, in healthcare, if we underinvest in financial stability, then people don't have the wherewithal to really contribute at the level that they would if we had invested in those things along with physical and mental health, then we tend to put more stock in these godlike figures because they can invest in themselves at that level. They can make sure, I mean, if you ever see Jeff Bezos 20 years ago versus now just physically he's looks like a monster now compared to 20 years ago and that's like what you that if you can invest in yourself everybody should everybody should have a, a ability to have a personal trainer and a and and be able to go to a psychologist the way jeff bezos and bill gates can and we really we have enough now to do that the, the the issue with it is it will create a fair society where we're all on a level playing field. And that is what is so threatening and why it's not happening is because, you know, people are really trying to prevent that from happening. But, you know, the the hopeful part of me is like, can you really prevent it forever? Because at some point, we're all gonna wake up to these facts. And then I think having a company that has a 20 year track record of doing that will be a competitive advantage over Amazon and all these other companies. I hope that's the hope. It, it is. I mean,
2: I, I, I looked kind of through the brag sheet a little bit where you talked about people having babies because they, you know, they felt more secure. People are moving closer to the office, investing more in their 401k. I mean, that is a competitive advantage. I mean, it, it it's there, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's already, if I lived up there, I would, I would be trying to work there. I mean, it's, it's, it seems like a great place to, to be.
1: There's you also know? a lot of personal stories about people um, improving their health. And I think that's so mm-hmm. key and such a competitive advantage too, because we all care about our health. Every single one of us cares about our health, but we don't all have access to the same resources.
2: We don't, there's a pretty big difference um, in, in your, I mean, you're absolutely right. And everything you said about the divide that's getting larger and larger than that, that, you know, the the haves and have nots, so to speak. And, and you know, we've got a whole segment of society that is just getting further and further away from what I would consider to be acceptable.
1: There's two things too, that are going to kill people faster than the pandemic will at this point, which are, and I take the pandemic very seriously, but they both have the same uh, treatment. One is depression, people committing suicide. And number two is drug overdose. And if you gave people mental health care, they could overcome those things. But it's hard for me to tell somebody who's so depressed that every day is like living in hell that they shouldn't kill themselves. I mean, I would tell them that of course, but it's a hard thing to say because like, If you have no access to anything, any kind of hope, any kind of resources to get better. I mean, I I remember one time I got food poisoning for two days and actually uh, Sergeant Molina took care of me (laughs) and I got food poisoning for two days. And it's the first time in my life I felt so much pain that I'm like, if my life was like this every day, I would want to die. And I don't mean that in like a sadistic way. I mean that in a caring for myself way. It was not a good way to live. Well, if all of a sudden your mental health is putting you in that condition on a daily basis and you don't have access to treatment options. you know, So like these are the types of issues that I think if we can just step up to the plate and take care of people and I know we've done a a better job recently like with veterans than we've done at some points in the past, I know we still have a long way to go But it seems like that's kind of the direction that's worked in that world and can work in other worlds too is like actually give people resources and we've proven at gravity when you give people resources to care for themselves they're really good at it and when you (laughs) don't and when you don't you are liable for that harm in a way when you have the option to give that and you don't which is the situation that we're in as a country right now that's the situation that we at Gravity were in as a company prior to 2015, and especially prior to 2012. And I think that's the condition of corporate America, and it just keeps getting worse and worse. So I don't think it's too, too unreasonable or too much of an exaggeration to say that corporate America, capitalism, the stock market, GDP, whatever you want to call it, is responsible for the deaths. Of more people right now than uh, than coronavirus or any other threat that we're facing. It, you know, if we talk about all these wedge issues of like violence, police reform, you know, violent wars, violent conflicts, all of those things are really challenging things that I take very seriously and I cry over. Like I I shed tears over those things. Um, but statistically, none of them are really hurting as many Americans as much as just the way our system doesn't work right now, or probably better put is working for those who it's designed to work for.
2: That's, I mean, that's, that's great insight. I mean, I feel like the, you know, the, the sway of capitalism has really lost its moral compass and, and and those two really conflict when you're talking about you know shareholders and you're talking about human beings like how do you how do you merge and ask these large companies to say hey you you've you've you may your stock price might go down a little bit if you focus on society but it's the right thing to do um you know and in fact in your stock price may recover in many different ways by focusing on society but you see like large ceos kind of taking a step back like it's too risky i'm not just not going to do it
1: i had a ceo in my industry be like hey dan if you just undo this policy this policy this policy you'll be a billionaire period plain and simple and there's people you can hire out there to replace your current team that can execute that very seamlessly because they've done it 10 times in a row and he's like, Dan as a billionaire it is a better planet for what you care about than Dan with Gravity Payments because you could do so much good with billion. Mm-hmm. So he, a billion dollars. So he made that point to me and it's like, wow, like, you know, that's uh, from an ego standpoint, that's a compelling point. And then I got an email just the other day from somebody that was like, hey, are you like struggling? Yeah, is your company losing money because pandemic? Yeah, like, are you guys like fighting for your life? Yeah. Are you stressed out? Yeah. Are you like literally harming yourself physically and mentally by hanging in there? To some degree, yeah. Well, guess what? We'll write you a check, you know, and and the pretext of it and probably true that it's, you know, would be, you know, a, a hundred times over how much money that I would need to spend for the rest of my life. Um, and I would just be often, you know, paradise for the rest of my life, you know, private islands, private jets, whatever I want. And, uh, you know, like, I guess how many people are going to say no to that, you know, compared to like the, the fight that I'm in every day where it's stressful and it's hard and we're not making money and I'm not making money. And, you know, but I think it's what you're saying. And I think people like you are where I get my inspiration of like, this, like like, stay true to it. Like you didn't start this company to be able to peace out and be lazy the rest of your life and have no more problems the rest of your life. That's not why you started this company. You started this company to help people like Heather. And then you realize that your employees too were people like Heather at the same time and like, keep keep fighting for that. Don't sell out, you know, and I've seen, but I've seen pretty much all my friends sell out. And frankly, sometimes when they do and they get that hundred million or billion dollar check, they don't want to be friends with me anymore because they want to be friends with other people that have that kind of money, that have that, you know, notch on the success of like, though I was successful because I became a bazillionaire. And um, that's sad though. I mean, that's oh. a little... But that it, that happens. It reinforces that, that what you're saying about capitalism and the system. Are we really gonna rely on people like me to just say no to that? Because if we do, yeah, we can highlight me and others as like exceptional cases and say like, oh, this proves that it can work. But if we actually look at the statistics rather than an anecdote, if, if anything, I shouldn't be getting this kind of credit and the fact that I get so much credit publicly is proof that the system does not work
2: mm. that's I mean that's really interesting I mean that's that's it's it's sad that it doesn't work um, but I mean I I like I appreciate your conviction about it all I mean it's it's like you know I, I live in San Jose I, I deal with high-tech people all day long it's it's just it's nice to talk to you and hear from somebody who's does have a good moral compass, and is a little bit grounded in, in reality versus, you know, uh, some of the CEOs
1: we see trying to, you know, buy another yacht. Um, I would say I have the moral compass of a five-year-old. <laughs> Maybe
2: seven, I've got we're kind of, a little, older. five-year-olds are still a little questionable. <laughs>
1: But maybe, but maybe the uh, maybe the uh, CEOs buying the yacht are still in their terrible twos, I'm not sure. No, they're, they're like
2: teenagers, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, Dan, I, I don't want to keep you, we, we already went kind of way over the allotted time. I really appreciate you taking Thanks, the time but... to, to speak with me, I, I really. And, and you talked about, um, you know, when you see somebody driving poorly, you, you may check on the person. Uh, Tammy has a story about that if she hasn't shared it with you. She wow. does that stuff all the time.
1: <laughs> she, she, she's
2: awesome. She's, she's, she's been great to me.
1: Well, I'm happy that she introduced us and uh, thank you for the conversation. Thank you for the great questions and uh, hope, to, hope to be in touch again in the future. Um, and good luck with the presentation and everything. I'm sure you'll do great, but um, it was nice that it gave us the excuse to, to get to know each other a little bit. It was great meeting you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so and, much. And thank you, and thank you for the choices, the costs that you paid, the sacrifice, uh, to allow us to hopefully step up to the plate and make some good decisions here. They're they're starting to be made. Yeah. So. All right. Thank you, thank sir. You, Chris. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.